Good morning again, everybody. What a great morning, huh? Blessed to be here. I want you to imagine for a minute that, um, that you live in a country that is very hostile to Christianity. Uh, the, the leaders of the government do not like Christians. Where you live, there are, there are no laws that allow you to gather together uh, as, as Christians safely. There, no, there would be no laws to protect us as we assemble here today. Uh, in this place, there are no free speech laws to protect you as you talk to other people about Jesus. But as a person who loves Jesus, you continue to gather with other Christians to worship the Lord, and you continue to tell your neighbors about this Jesus who died and rose again uh, to forgive and to save sinners. And, and you tell them the good news that they can be forever forgiven of their sins and become friends with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Well, eventually, as you're doing that, word gets out that you are a little bit too passionate about this Jesus, and, and the authorities don't like it. And so they send the police to your house who arrest you and who take you to jail, and you stay in jail while you wait for your court date, uh, where you will appear before a judge to explain yourself. And since the government already dislikes Christians, you know that this judge can punish you however he or she wants to and get away with it. You could, you could be sent to prison, you could be tortured, you could, you could lose your very life. And when you finally appear in court, it turns out that uh, you caught this judge on a good day. And he's not in the mood today to hand out harsh punishments, and instead he just explains to you that you're preaching, uh, your message is offensive to others, it is disturbing the peace, and so you must stop immediately. Uh, and the judge says that he's going to let you off with a warning, but if he hears one word from anybody that you are continuing to talk about Jesus, then he will bring you back to court to make an example out of you. He says that you will be whipped on the back publicly in front of your friends and family so that everybody sees what happens to people who proclaim Jesus. And, and then he's going to lock you up in prison for 10 years. So he's going to leave your wife and your kids to fend for themselves without a mom or dad. And the choice is up to you. And with this strong warning, the judge releases you and the offer, officers uh, lead you out to the street and they kick you to the curb there. Well, what is the next thing you do? How are you gonna live your life as a Jesus follower moving forward? This situation describes the reality of, of the lives of millions of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ today. And this has been the reality for millions and millions of Christians throughout the centuries. And this was the very situation that Jesus' own disciples, Peter and John, faced when they were strongly warned by the Jewish Sanhedrin to stop talking to people about Jesus. They were threatened, and then they were released from jail. So what would Peter and John do next? Today we're going to find out, and we're going to see why that matters for you and for me, okay? If you brought a Bible with you, please open up to Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to, to get a good Bible into your hands. Please come talk to us. 
There's a lot of good Bible apps also on the phone that you can use to read the Bible. But one of the things we do at Cedar Home is we, we mainly preach verse by verse through the Bible so that we can see God's word in context and see all of the topics that he addresses and hear the message that he has for us. And so I um, encourage you to bring a Bible so that you can see it for yourself, because praise God, there's not just one person in here who has access to the Bible and the language in which it's written, right? Before we read uh, Acts 4, let's, let's pray and ask God to continue to help us. Lord, as we open your word, uh, we just, we thank you for being with us in a powerful way. We thank you for the baptisms we've witnessed, for the words we've been able to sing to worship you. We thank you that we have been able to come here and assemble uh, together and, and as we open your word, we just we 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 ask you to help us with it. Uh, we are we're we're helpless without your help, God. We're we're hopeless unless you break in and help us. And and so we ask you to move in here with power and in our hearts and to continue to give us faith and joy in you and to continue to form us into your image so that we might glorify you as individuals and as a church family. Um, we just ask you, humbly, Holy Spirit, please minister to us and help us to see how this passage um, applies powerfully to our hearts and our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last time I preached, I, I focused on verses 1 to 22, and we're going to reread these verses so that we can see the context and then we're going to focus today on verses 23 to 31. So let me start at Acts 4, verse 1. Remember, this is right after uh, Peter and John healed the lame beggar. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
and we cannot deny it. But in order that may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's the word of the Lord. So after... Peter and John were released, verse 23 here says that the first thing they did was to go to their friends and tell them what happened. This reminds us that followers of Jesus are not disconnected individuals whose lives uh, do not affect one another. Rather, the Bible says that we as Christians are parts of one body and that Jesus is the head of the body. Our lives, what this means then is our lives are are interconnected as Christians. When one part hurts, the other part hurts with it. When one part excels, the other parts excel with it. And so if and when you speak the gospel of Jesus to your friends at school or to your coworkers or to your family members or to your neighbors, and, and if they respond by making fun of you or by hurting you, then you must know this, you are not alone, okay? Jesus is with you right at that moment, and also, you have an enormous family of brothers and sisters in Christ who are right there with you in spirit. When you are persecuted for your faith, it can often feel very lonely. And that's one of the things Satan wants to tempt us to believe, is that we are alone. That's not reality. But just like Peter and John did, come to your brothers and sisters for encouragement and support and talk about your persecution experiences with your community group or the Bible study you're in or Sunday school classes or at youth group. And don't give up telling others about Jesus. Don't don't give up on following Jesus and don't hide your pain, right? We Christians need to be vessels of God's love and strength and encouragement to one another 
all the time, and especially in times of, of suffering and persecution for the faith. Now, what's extremely fascinating here is what Peter and John and the rest of the brothers do next, okay, in light of these threats. They don't wallow in self-pity because of the bad news. They don't flee from town. They don't run away from town after they've gotten these threats. They, they don't go onto Facebook immediately and badmouth their government. They, they don't take legal action against the authorities. They don't split up and go their separate ways. What do they do? They pray together. Hear that? They pray together. That's the first thing they do. This is the fifth or sixth time so far that we've read in Acts about the early church's dedication to pray together. And it says in the Bible that they prayed with one accord, which means that they all agreed, there was mutual agreement that praying to God is what they needed to do right now. And when they prayed, they prayed as one. And they devoted themselves to this. Uh, they truly believe that unless Jesus helped them, unless he gave them power to follow him, unless he empowered them to spread the gospel with others, then their efforts were pointless. And so they prayed together often to ask God for more power. Man, I pray this for our church family here at Cedar Home. I pray that we will continue to mature into a church family that believes what the early church believed that we would be a praying church whenever two or more of us gather. That uh, we will believe God when he says in his word that unless he builds his kingdom, the builders who build it do it in vain. I hope when we come on Sunday mornings that we're not hoping in Sunday school or in Dylan or Dan or Kim, but we're hoping in God to move. We need to ask God to do that. So on Saturday nights or before you come on Sundays, please pray that the Holy Spirit will change our hearts and move among us in power. This was the key to the Apostle Paul's ministry. In 1 Corinthians 2, he said, he was very educated. He said, but I don't talk to people uh, trusting that I can influence them with my great education or wisdom. He said, the only thing I can hope for is that the Holy Spirit will demonstrate his power as I preach the gospel. That's what you and I need as a church family. And if Jesus isn't here, then we may as well not be here. And our prayer lives reveal whether we truly believe it. And so with one accord, the, the Christians prayed this magnificent prayer. It serves a, as a great model for our prayers when we face suffering and specifically when we face opposition to the gospel. Notice that the Christians don't begin their prayer by asking God for anything. Instead, they, they start by telling God who he is. And they call out to God. They say, Sovereign Lord. And this, this is fascinating. They don't just say, Dear Lord, which is fine if you do that. But here, they specifically use this word, Sovereign Lord. Um. They're saying, Lord, you are sovereign. This word sovereign, specifically in this context, we see the attributes of God's sovereignty all throughout the Bible, but this specific word for sovereignty is relatively rare in the Bible. Um, 
but it means somebody who has all the power and all the authority over everything. Okay? So it's really probably, it's, 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 not, a, it's not an adjective you just use for anybody. <laughs> this, is, this is, in this context, talking about the Lord who has the power over everything. And the Christians are reminding themselves as they say this that you're the one with the power and praise God, you're the one on our side, right? And they say, sovereign Lord, and then they tell him. They remind themselves. They're telling him what he's done, and they're reminding themselves at the same time, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Every time you go to a beach, you guys, you got to remember this, right? Every time you look over at those mountains, remember this. The sovereign Lord is the one who, who, who made this. And think about this. He, it says that the Lord didn't, doesn't just live in heaven. He created heaven. You get that? Heaven wasn't just there and then God showed up. The Lord was there and he made heaven. That's awesome. That's power. And the Lord didn't just come to earth in Jesus Christ. The Lord created the earth to which he came. He created all of the, all of the land and all of the oceans and it says all the seas on earth. And just think about it, man. I, I, love, I love seeing all of the different creatures and creation that live in all of those seas, right? You ever watch those Planet Earth documentaries? And you get a, just a tiny glimpse of the wonders that live on this planet. And we respond to that by saying, we have an awesome maker. This didn't just happen by chance. We have a creator who's holding us the exact right distance from this giant ball of burning fuel, and if we move just a tiny bit closer, we're done. This is God. He's the sovereign Lord who holds it all in his hands. He's the sovereign Lord over all peoples. As, as you watch shows like The Amazing Race, which I don't know if people watch that anymore, but I like watching it, because you get to see the world, and you get to see different peoples and different cultures or when you read National Geographic and you see different peoples and, and you remember, man, in some ways the world is smaller because of technology, but in some ways the world is huge. And the internet only represents a tiny portion of the world. And so when we see all these peoples of the earth, all the cultures of the world, we remember the Lord, the sovereign Lord made them all. He is the supreme ruler and authority over all those people, including us. And, and he's also the supreme authority over all human institutions. All the police of the world, all the courts, all the politicians, all the governments ultimately answer to the sovereign Lord Jesus. And we've got to remind ourselves of this because this is encouraging. And so the believers continue to pray in verse 25. They're, they continue to say more about the Lord. They say, Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the Christians are again describing God, and they're saying this, that in addition to the general revelation, which everybody sees God, the God also, uh, the God, the sovereign Lord of the universe also reveals himself in a special, specific way through his word, and he speaks through human writers who wrote scripture. And he says here, the Lord spoke through David, okay? 
And what did God say through David? Well, we know that God spoke at least half of the Psalms of Holy Scripture through David. And the sovereign Lord of the universe has revealed to us his, his will this way through the Bible. The, the Bible is the message of the sovereign Lord, okay? His message to us. It's not the message of men. It's, it's, it's the message of God. And the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers say this over and over again. We didn't create this ourselves. We wrote down as the Holy Spirit led us what he told us to write. And if this Bible is the word of God, if this is the sovereign Lord's message uh, for you and me, then we better cling to this book. <laughs> this book is different than any other book that uh, we, want to, we want to know what this book has to say to us. And we want to memorize this book. We want to hide it in our hearts. We want to we want to celebrate the promises that God gives us in this book if we belong to God through faith in Jesus. And as the believers are remembering that God spoke through David, they specifically remember here what he said in Psalm 2. That's what he, they quote. It says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So one reason the believers remember this psalm right now is because of what it communicates, right? The psalm essentially says, what are people thinking who position themselves against the sovereign Lord? <laughs> what are the kings and rulers and governments who op oppose the sovereign Lord thinking? Who do they think they are? They, they are evil, they're delusional if they think they can defeat the sovereign Lord. If they don't repent and turn to the sovereign Lord, they're going to be destroyed. That's what Psalm 2 is saying. And the other reason the believers pray this psalm is, is because of what this psalm prophesied. Right? Psalm 2, remember, was written hundreds and hundreds of, of centuries before Jesus ever came to earth. And it prophesied that the Lord's anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus would be raged against and plotted against by the rulers of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. And so they, the believers continue to extract this. They, they tell God in verses 27 to 28, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. See that connection they're making? They're using that word anointed to point back to the word anointed in Psalm 2. This Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, so in their prayer here, the believers are affirming that the terrible events that, that God said would happen to Jesus really did happen to Jesus. And they're saying Jesus is the anointed one that Psalm 2 refers to. And the rulers of the world, the Sanhedrin, as well as representatives of all humanity, gathered itself against Jesus in Jerusalem. It wasn't just the Jews. He, they're, they, they're very clear that it was the Romans. It was the Gentiles, Herod and Pontius Pilate. They worked for the Roman Empire. The, the Gentiles included the Romans, but also everybody else that wasn't Jewish. And they were all against Jesus. 
And, and it says here that the Jews themselves were against Jesus too. And together, all of these people representing humanity, all of them plotted against Jesus to do whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place, according to verse 28. This word, this predestined word, is one we keep, keeps popping up in Acts. And so the question is, what did God predestine to take place? The death of God the Son, Jesus, on behalf of sinners. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't in response to humans going off the rails. This is what God predestined before the foundation of the earth to show the wonders of his glory and to save a people for himself through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Well, who was responsible for this? Well, it says, whose hand did it come from? Verse 28 says it came from God's hand. And so the, the death of Jesus was predestined. It happened according to God's plan. And yet, as we've seen several times already in Acts, Jesus' death also happened by the free choice of depraved men, right? Humanity is responsible for plotting against Jesus and murdering him. And they did this in alignment with God's sovereign plan to save his people through his son. It's a mystery. But God's sovereignty is obviously compatible with human choice. Let's remember that the Christians here are praying. That what, what are they praying here? They're praying a prayer in response to persecution and to death threats, right? And they're essentially telling the Lord, Lord, you are sovereign. You are the ultimate authority. All of us and all of the courts and all of the rulers of this land have to answer to you. And and more than that, they're they're saying we are, we're the instruments of your will, your predestined will. And, And God, we see in your prophecies and scripture that you have a plan. And we see that you always carry out your plan because you are all powerful. And we know this, that because of your grace, you take the plans of the wicked and you turn them upside down to bless people and to bring glory to your name. And they're praying, God, we've just received bad news, but we believe you can turn this bad thing into a good thing. And now finally, in verse 29 to 30, they they finally ask something of God. They say, "And, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So remember, this, uh, <laughs> these Christians have been warned by the authorities to stop. They've been threatened. They have told, the authorities have told them horrible things are going to happen to you if you keep speaking about Jesus. And so what do they ask God to do for them about this? To give them power to keep speaking God's word with all boldness. That's incredible. These, these people, think about this. This is the reality. They might very well lose their spouses and their kids and their homes and their freedom and their health and their very lives if they keep doing this, if they keep sharing the gospel with others. Yet they ask God to fill them with more power to keep sharing the gospel. 
They don't say, Lord, please make this go away. They say, give us more power. Would you pray that prayer? (laughs) Do you pray that prayer? This This is a radical prayer. This is a prayer that says, God, my life is yours, totally. And so give me supernatural boldness, Lord, to tell the world about you. Give me supernatural courage to to sacrifice everything I have to make you famous on earth and to bless others with your love. Wow. That's an amazing prayer. And it's rooted in the sovereignty of God and in our hope in his sovereignty and love for us. There's a great hip-hop group from Portland called Beautiful Eulogy, and they have a song called If that I have listened to almost every day for the past two months. And my family and I crank it, and we dance, and uh, it's fun. And this song is a prayer to God, and I just want to read the first verse to you. It says, If in one unfortunate moment you took everything that I own, everything you've given from heaven above, and everything that I've ever known, if you stripped away my ministry, my influence, my reputation, my health, my happiness, my friends, my pride, and my expectation, if you caused for me to suffer or to suffer for the cause of the cross, if the cost of my allegiance is prison and all my freedoms are lost, if you take the breath from my lungs and make an end of my life, if you take the most precious part of me and take my kids and my wife, it would crush me, it would break me, It would suffocate and cause heartache. I would taste the bitter dark providence, but you would still preserve my faith. What's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. And I can't even begin to imagine the sting that kind of pain brings. I would never blame you for evil, even if you caused me pain. I came into this world with nothing, and when I die, it'll be the same. I will praise your name in the giving and taking away. If I have you, I could lose everything and still consider it gain. Now don't worry, guys. I'm not going to leave Cedar Home and go get a hip-hop record contract. Okay. I know that was a pretty good performance, but I'm just kidding. I was like, do I do this or not? And Jackson's like, you got to have the beat and stuff. I'm like, no. No. I like the words. I'll read the words. Okay. This is the same kind of prayer in in, in their culture the hip-hop culture in Portland, they're preaching this, okay? Verse 29 to 30 say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is an inspiring prayer to pray. It's a prayer for boldness and courage to tell others about Jesus even if it costs us everything. And then the second thing they ask is that God would validate it. That he would validate their gospel preaching by continuing to do healings, continuing to do signs and wonders through them in the name of Jesus. Now it's crucial to remember that uh, while God has done and while he can still do miraculous healings and signs and wonders, such wonders are always of secondary importance to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Hear that? God has a message for us. These things exist to enhance, to point to 
the message. And while God cares about all of our needs, he knows that our greatest need is to have our souls eternally rescued by Jesus through faith in Jesus. And that being said, one of the main reasons that uh, Jesus performed signs and wonders in his ministry and that he continued to perform signs and wonders through the apostles was to validate the truthfulness of their message. Miraculous, these were called, remember, if you were with us in the Gospel of John, you know that John called them signs. And that's because these miracles, these signs, point to something. That's what signs do. They point to something. They tell you where to look or where to go. And and the miraculous signs that God did through these apostles pointed to the reality that Jesus is God, that he is the sovereign Lord over all, and that he is the only mediator between God and men, and their gospel preaching is from him. Now, just because Jesus has used signs and wonders to point people to him in the past also does not mean that all gospel preaching and witnessing must be accompanied by healings and signs and wonders in order to be credible. On the contrary, if you read scripture, the Bible gives many examples of signs and wonders performed by people using demonic forces whose message was antichrist. At the end of the day, the message that God approves is his message, okay? It's his gospel, regardless of whether he chooses uh, to accompany the preaching of his gospel with signs and wonders. And, And the core of this gospel message is that God gives eternal life and salvation from Satan and sin and hell and death to everyone who turns away from sin and trusts in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. That's the core of the gospel message that we've been entrusted with. What actually interests me more here than the signs and wonders that the Christians request is this internal ambition that they have to tell others about Jesus. This, this urgency. So much so that, that they're asking God for supernatural boldness even if it costs them everything. They want to preach the gospel. They want to tell other people about Jesus. Now think about that. Some of us in here might be willing to die for a family member. Some of us in here would be willing to suffer and die to protect our our freedoms as a country. Some of us in here would probably be willing to suffer and die for, for being a Christ follower, for trusting in Jesus. But how many of us are willing to suffer and die to tell other people about Jesus? Where does a person get that kind of ambition Let's look closer at verse 29. When when the believers ask God to grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, they're saying this, that their bold witnessing for Jesus cannot happen and will not happen unless God works in and through them. So these Christians are affirming that their hearts would never have wanted Jesus or trusted Jesus in the first place had the Holy Spirit not made them born again and given them a desire for Jesus. And and in the same way, their hearts will not want to suffer for the sake of Jesus or for the sake of telling others about Jesus unless the Holy Spirit fills them with that desire. That's what they're praying for. So Christians are not going to be courageous and bold in their gospel sharing unless the Holy Spirit gives them his supernatural courage and boldness. The only reason 
anyone ever loves God or ever believes God's word or ever repents from sin or ever trusts in Jesus or ever wants to make Jesus known to the world is because Jesus loved them first and made them born again through the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing for Jesus without Jesus. I was talking to a friend this week who, who uh, for many years thought that Christianity was ridiculous, uh, that Christians were stupid. He was quick to tell them that. Uh, but at one point, as he heard God's gospel, that God loved him, that Jesus died on the cross to suffer God's wrath for him, and that through faith in Jesus, he could be forever free and forever alive with God, the Holy Spirit changed his heart and saved him. And my friend miraculously believed in Jesus. And, and knowing this guy's story, the only possible explanation for his conversion is that this guy was changed by the Holy Spirit. And what's also incredible to me is now my friend loves talking to other people about Jesus. In fact, he invites people of other faiths into his house and people who have no faith into his house to talk about Jesus with them. And he's a busy guy. He's got a full-time job. He's got bills to pay. He's, you know, he's, he's got kids in his house to raise. Why in the world? I was just fascinated. Why do, why do you make this a priority to tell others about Jesus? It's because the Holy Spirit has filled him and given him the desire to obey Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. It's not in himself. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And this week, I, I was talking to him. I said, man, why, why are you so passionate about this? Why are you so passionate about sharing the gospel? It's great, but I compare it to many of us. I'm just thinking, you have this fire that I don't see in everybody. And he said, well... Imagine that you see somebody who's about to walk off a cliff. I don't know, he said, I don't know anybody, Christian or not, who wouldn't do everything they could to stop that person. And when someone is approaching death like that, and we all are, then I feel a push to make sure that person knows Jesus. There's an urgency to sharing the gospel because that person could die today. And he's exactly right. May God give us hearts that see uh, the people around us and see our lives this way. Because this is reality. We are all going to die. We all desperately need our creator, our savior, Jesus. He died so that we might live. And we're the ones who get to tell others this great news of salvation in Jesus. If you're here today and, and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins, to save you from eternal death and hell, God's word to you today is the same as it's always been. Turn to Jesus, turn away from your sin, and trust in him. Don't wait until you get your life together. That ain't gonna happen, okay? We're all works in progress. We need Jesus now. Believe that if you, if you believe that Jesus is God, that he suffered God's wrath towards your sins on the cross so that you won't have to, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, Jesus says. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. And for those of us here who, who have been saved through faith in Jesus, 
Jesus does not call us to be mere recipients of his grace, mere recipients of his forgiveness and love and eternal life. Jesus sends us out on mission. He, he says, you are my ambassadors now to the world because I'm in heaven. You're my ambassadors. We, we represent King Jesus. We speak to the world the message that Jesus has for the world. And Jesus commanded, what's, he commanded us to go and make disciples of all peoples of the world, to baptize them, to teach them the gospel and God's commands. Jesus said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be Jesus' witnesses to all peoples of the earth and tell them that they can be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that our hearts will break for those who don't know him. We need to pray for that more. Let's finally here look at verse 31 where God answers them. He answers the believers. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now what an awesome answer to an awesome prayer. God gives the Christians three confirmations here that he is with them and that he's for them. First, he demonstrates his power as the sovereign Lord. He's, he, by, by, by causing this earthquake, he's affirming them, yes, I am the sovereign Lord. And we read in other places in scripture that uh, God reveals his powerful presence often to people through these earthquakes, like we've seen most recently in this Easter uh, season, um, immediately after Jesus' death, and when uh, the, the angel unrolled the, the stone from the tomb of Jesus, there was an earthquake. And then in addition to making the earthquake, God secondly responds to the Christians by filling them, it says, with the Holy Spirit. He gives them the very thing they ask for. The, the very thing they need to speak the gospel to others with supernatural boldness, his power and his presence. And remember, the, he's not filling them for the first time here, okay? The Holy Spirit fills and lives inside every believer when they first trust in Jesus. And so this idea of, of the Holy Spirit subsequently filling the Christian again can be kind of confusing, and, and what it's really referring to is the Holy Spirit unleashing his presence and power in these Christians in a mighty way. Okay? We cannot make ourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is sovereign, right? That's the message of this passage. He's the sovereign Lord. He's uncontrollable. He's, uh, Jesus compares him to the wind who blows when and where he wants to. But we can and we should ask the Lord to fill us with a new experience of his power every day. And as shown in this passage, if God decides in his perfect wisdom to fill you right then and there, he will. And then again here we see that the filling of the Holy Spirit does not necessarily mean that a, a person will begin to speak in tongues. Right? All the Christians in this passage are filled with the Holy Spirit and it doesn't say anything about them speaking in tongues. And so the Holy Spirit's special filling of a Christian neither requires that a Christian speak in tongues, nor is this special secondary filling necessary for salvation because they've already been saved. This filling is entirely a gift of God that he pours onto various Christians at various times according to his sovereign wisdom and will. And in today's passage, as God does this, as he fills the Christians with the Holy Spirit, he empowers them to do the very thing they ask for. 
to continue to speak the word of God with all boldness. They're saying, God, give me power to do what you've told me to do. And he does. So here they go. They've been warned by the Sanhedrin. They've been threatened that they're going to suffer if they continue to do this. But they know that they must disobey the Sanhedrin in order to obey the Lord's commands to be his witnesses. And so now they have this fresh power from the Holy Spirit, and they courageously go out and continue to speak the gospel to the the world, much of which is hostile to them. And as a result, what we're going to see in the subsequent chapters here in Acts is that these Christians would endure many trials, many tribulations, but because of their gospel witness, many, many people would hear about the love of God, and they would trust in Jesus and be saved. You guys, let's, let's follow the example of the early church in this way and pray this prayer together. Let's pray for spirit-filled boldness to tell others about Jesus so that God's name is glorified in and through us and so that other people are blessed with eternal life in Christ. And we want to pray this prayer during part of our church prayer meeting on April 29th. We, we have this coming up. We, we want to pray together as a church for the lost people we know. We want to... We want to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to boldly tell them about Jesus with truth and with love. And uh, our last church prayer gathering was a blast. We had a great turnout. I hope you'll join us again as we, as we share a meal together and, and pray together. And let's, let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, we do declare you are sovereign, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're sovereign. You are um, all-powerful. You're our creator. We, we thank you, God, that um, even though we read the headlines on the news of all sorts of things going on in our world, you're in control. You're, you're sovereign over all the nations. You're, you're, you're in control of our lives. And we celebrate even more than this, God. You're, you're in control, but you're good, too. And you love us. And you want good for us. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you've already demonstrated this for us. This isn't, uh, this isn't just empty words. We look at your track record in the Bible and we see how it came to the apex of demonstrating your love for us on the cross by giving up your only son Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins so that our sin and guilt might be taken away forever and so that we might have the righteousness of God imputed to us so that we are forever accepted and justified before God. In the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for that. Lord, give us courage. Give us courage. Give us ambition, Lord, to share this gospel with urgency and give us your power. We need your power, Lord. We we must abide in you and totally depend on you. We anticipate the great things that you're gonna do through our church family. We wanna see a lot more people get baptized. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.